Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm Brad Alexander. I'm a beggar. And I'm your host. I found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and I want to tell others where I found this bread. This episode, Say What You Will. Props to Fastway for the title to this episode. Fastway, an 80s hair band, kind of metalish rock, glam rock, you know, all the 80s stuff going on. Initially, they were comprised of former Motorhead guitarist Fast Eddie Clark and Pete Way from the band UFO. Do you see what they did there? Fast Eddie and Pete Way. Huh? Fast Way. Yeah, kind of sneaky like that. Say What You Will was probably their most commercially successful song off of their 1983 self-titled album. Now, in 86, they kind of reasserted themselves a little bit as a force in rock music. They did the soundtrack for the barely watchable movie Trick or Treat. Yeah, kind of a flop of an 80s horror movie. But the soundtrack actually performed pretty well. I think that's rare. So Fastway kept rocking several lineup changes over the years. And then in 2018, they called it quits. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised if there was a Fastway reunion at some point. But for now, it's not about the music. It's about the message. Say what you will. So getting an understanding of original language of scripture is important towards grasping the context of what's being said or what's happening in the recorded accounts. The Torah, the writings, and the prophets, the Old Testament for those who are so inclined, the language which was used was Hebrew, is Hebrew. And then the Gospels, Epistles, and Revelation, New Testament writings, the language spoken during that time was primarily Aramaic, um, but the the writings, of course, which captured those uh, those books and those letters, is Greek language. And then, of course, they've been translated into many other languages. So there are times when words translated from one language to another don't necessarily completely capture from the original language what was being said. And I've said it before, in American English, in our own language, we've redefined words over the years, uh, changing the meanings. We've redefined love, hate, marriage, life, genders, and more. We've done a lot of that within, and you know, if we do that to words in our own tongue, how challenging is it to keep up with translations from one language to another? So here's something kind of interesting. When I say Nimrod, what comes to mind? Now, I know some of you are familiar with Genesis 10. So let me go ahead and read Genesis 10, starting at verse 8. Now, Cush fathered Nimrod. He started to become mighty in the land. He was a mighty hunter before Adonai. This is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Adonai. The beginning of his kingdom included Babel, Erech, Achad, and Kalneh, in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went out to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rechovot, Ir, Kala, and Resen between Nineveh and Kala. This is the great city. So the name Nimrod means rebel. 
and he was rebellious and a mighty hunter, as we read here. Now, as I understand it, Nimrod, being a mighty hunter, actually refers to him over killing animals. Like he was a man of great violence and killed whatever got in his way. He is also mentioned in First Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 10. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first mighty warrior on the earth. And again, there's a reference to him in Micah chapter 5 and verse 5. They will devastate the land of Assyria with the sword, even Nimrod's land, with a drawn blade. He will deliver us from Assyria when he invades our land and when he tramples on our territory. So this verse refers to Assyria as Nimrod's land. He was a conqueror. So multiple choice time for you. In modern English, most people today, if you were to call them a Nimrod, would they think you are calling him or her a mighty hunter or B, a mighty warrior, C, a rebel, or D, an idiot? If you said D, idiot, you advance to the bonus round. So you want to know the funniest thing about how this happens to Nimrod's name? It was Bugs Bunny. No, for real. The first time Nimrod was used as an insult was when Bugs Bunny called Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. And think about that. Elmer was a hunter. Nimrod, a mighty hunter. Elmer, eh, not so much. Nimrod means rebel, right? And he was a mighty conqueror. And Elmer, yeah, once again, eh, not so much. So Bugs calling Elmer Fudd Nimrod is really just some great sarcasm by the writers of Bugs Bunny. Props to them for that. Now, of course, nowadays, the, the gun Elmer used is being edited out of the cartoons because, of course, he's responsible for all the gun violence in America. Nimrods. Anyway, you may be wondering where I'm going with this. You're like, meh, what's up, Doc? My point is about the changing of words or misunderstanding the original definitions and meanings of words. This can definitely be a bad thing. It can be dangerous or even catastrophic when it comes to understanding the word of Adonai Elohim, the Lord, our God. So there's a doctrine that fortunately is not too widespread, but it has infected the modern evangelical church. It started off more as kind of a fringe doctrine, primarily in charismatic circles, but now has bled in more and more into mainstream, if you will, evangelical churches. And I believe when we cross difficult to understand passages, it's important that we search them out and dig in studying to show ourselves approved of God. And it's really important if we read something that seems to contradict the rest of Scripture, we should dig in and figure out, wait, what does this really mean? Because it sounds like it's going the opposite of everything else God has told us to do. So I'm going to read a passage from John chapter 10. And then we're going to look and we're going to try and figure out what is meant by this portion of Scripture where a 
bad doctrine has been born. All right, so let's take a look. We're going to start John 10, verse 22. Then came Hanukkah. It was winter in Jerusalem. Yeshua was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. Then the Judean leaders surrounded him, saying, How long will you hold us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us outright. Yeshua answered them, I told you, but you don't believe me. The works I do in my Father's name testify concerning me, but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Judean leaders picked up stones to stone him. Yeshua answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which, one are, for which one of these are you going to stone me? The Judean leaders answered, We aren't stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy. Though you are a man, you make yourself God. Yeshua answered them, Isn't it written in your writings, I have said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, the one the Father set apart and sent into the world, you speak blasphemy, because I said, I am Ben Elohim, the Son of God? Okay, so the controversy and this doctrine I'm referring to comes from verse 34. And I read the rest for context so we can see the whole picture there. Here, once again, is uh, verses 34, uh, starting at verse 34 and then through verse 36. Yeshua answered them, Isn't it written in your writings, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, the one the Father set apart and sent into the world? You speak blasphemy. Because I said, I am Ben Elohim, the Son of God. So born from this passage is the little God's doctrine. There are teachers who tell their followers that they and their followers are little gods. And I'm not talking about Mormon teachers. I'm not talking about New Age teachers. No, this is happening in, quote unquote, Christian churches. Again, it started in the more kind of fringy charismatic circles, but it has bled into more mainstream churches. Folks on TBN, like Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, if he's even still around, I don't know if he is or not. Paul and Jan Crouch, who used to run TBN, but I, I think they're both deceased at this point. And, and there are others on, that are affiliated with TBN. And now even Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church. Now, he, I have not heard, and I don't know if he has actually said those words, but he dances real close to that fire. Like, again, I don't know if he's actually said the words, I am, a, uh, you know, a little God, but he's painted himself into a real corner with some of his teaching. And it's almost like you can see he he wants to say it, like it's it's palpable to him, like he's he's getting close and he wants to blurt this out. So, what's implied and meant by calling oneself a little God is these people believe themselves to be small, man-sized versions of 
Adonai Elohim, the living God. Not just created in the image, but they are little gods. And they emphasize little so that they're not capitalizing the G in front of God, you know. So, uh, you know, we're really being humble in this. But they, they call themselves, they honest, they call themselves little gods, little creators, declaring that they are able to speak things into being and that they call things that be not as though they are. And that, that teaching comes from the butchering of Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, 17, speaking of Abraham, it says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He, Abraham, is our father in the sight of God, in whom he trusted, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence that which does not exist. So who gives life to the dead and calls into existence that which does not exist? God does. That's all, folks. Not Abraham. Not any other person. This is the work of Elyon, God Most High. But these people declare themselves to be little gods, and they encourage their followers that they are also little gods. Same creative ability as God. And I don't... <laughs> I got to move on. I'm going to get very cynical here in a moment. Okay, so let's, let's back up then. And let's talk about what was Yeshua talking about when he said, isn't it written in your writings, I have said you are gods. Kind of sounds like he's saying that God called some people gods. Okay, first thing, right out of the chute, let's, let's just break one thing down. Real important here. What did Yeshua say is the most important commandment of all? His answer is Shema. That is, in Hebrew, it's, the answer is Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One. And Messiah, when he answered that question, what's the most important uh, commandment? He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. So God is one. One. Not thousands or millions or billions. This is not Hinduism or some other polytheistic faith. He is one and he's not making a bunch of baby gods all over the place. So this do doctrine instantly contradicts the basic theology of scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love Adonai, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So, I mean, do you really need any other red flags to warn you that eh, calling yourself a little God, that's a problem. There's, yeah, that, that should be glaring. So let's try to determine what Yeshua said in this passage. Now, the writing to which Messiah refers is Psalm 82. So we're going to check that out to get some foundation, Psalm 82. Now, he specifically quotes verse 6. I'm going to read the entire psalm. Um, it's eight verses in total. So I'm going to read through the whole thing to bring context. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. 
God takes his stand in the assembly of God. He judges among the gods. So that's verse 1, okay? And now the writer of this psalm begins to quote God, starting in verse 2. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the poor and fatherless. Be just to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All of earth's foundations are shaken. I said you are gods, and you are all sons of El Yon. Yet you will die like men and will fall like any of the princes. Okay, so that's through to verse 7. And then the writer finishes up. He's, he's done quoting Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God here. And he finishes up by saying, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you possess all the nations. So that is Psalm 82. The word used in this psalm for the lowercase gods, that word is Elohim. And it's a common reference to God. If you listen to this podcast much, you hear me. I often say, Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God. Now, this word, Elohim, has several definitions, and we're going to go into those in a second. But the word Elohim is found in Genesis 1, where it says, In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And that is where this doctrine, the people who espouse this doctrine, come up with the, we are creators. Because the word Elohim is capitalized, used in Genesis 1, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, since that word Elohim is used in this psalm, which says, I have said you are gods, and then Yeshua quotes that, well, that means we are creators. We are creators. Man, let's go create something. I don't know. What do you want to create? I don't know. A lot of stuff's been created out there. What, what would you create? I don't know, man. Let's create something cool, though. So that's, that's where this is coming from, okay? Now, again, the issue goes back to the word Elohim has several definitions. So I'm going to read them to you. These are the definitions of the word Elohim. Divine, divine being, exceedingly, God or God lowercase, gods as in possessive, apostrophe S, goddess, godly, great, judges, mighty, rulers, and spiritual being in general. So there are a lot of potential uses for the word Elohim. The Greek word that is used in John chapter 10 is theoi, from the root word theos, Greek word theos. And that word only has one definition, God. That's it. So from Hebrew, with several definitions, to Greek, the depth of the meaning and the potential is lost a lot of it in that word. That word theos or theoi means God. And it's the closest word in the Greek language that meets with the Hebrew word. So that's what they used. Well, what about great? What about judge, mighty, ruler, spiritual being? 
hmm, so we got to figure out what what should go where, right? I mean, then that takes study. That takes that takes a whole lot of time and figuring out what should go where and, and bringing things into context. So when we look at the context of Psalm 82, we can see Adonai is unhappy with the people for they have not judged righteous judgment. He has always wanted his people to judge right and just. What is his charge against the people in Psalm 82? It's in verse 2. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? There's a judgment problem going on among the people of God. He's not giving them props and saying, hey, you guys are all little gods. You're just like me. No, and I'm fairly certain that most listeners to this podcast, this program, aren't going around calling themselves little gods. I hope that's the case. But maybe you are. Maybe you're intrigued by that doctrine because, wow, they used, they quoted a couple of scriptures and that seems to be there. But I want to make sure that we leave no stone unturned as we go through this because I want us to glean, glean clarification. I want us to have clarification so that we understand the doctrine that is espoused and how to refute it biblically, because they do use a couple of scriptures. So, let's take a look at Exodus 4. Adonai is speaking to Moses about Aaron. Exodus 4, verse 16 and 17. He, Aaron, and remember, this is Adonai speaking to Moses. He will be your spokesman to the people so that he may act as a mouthpiece for you. And it will be as if you were as God for him. Now then, now then you must take this staff in your hand to do the signs. So God did not tell Moses that he is God or a God. No, he said in the role that you are serving in, it will be like Moses is God to Aaron, meaning what Moses speaks to Aaron, Aaron speaks to Pharaoh. God's going to speak it to Moses. He will say it to Aaron, and Aaron is going to speak it to Pharaoh. That's, that's how that works. You can look again at Exodus chapter 7. It's very similar conversation here. Exodus 7 and verse 1. So Adonai said to Moses, See, I have set you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother will be your prophet. You are to speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother is to speak to Pharaoh, so that he will let B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, go out of his land. Once more, Adonai tells Moses he will be like God in the role in which he is serving. He never tells Moses he is a God or, or is God. Now, let's take a look at Exodus chapter 22. We'll start at verse 7. Exodus 22, something interesting in here that we should grasp a hold of. If someone gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him, and it is stolen from the neighbor's house... If the thief is caught, then the thief shall pay double. If the thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for ox, for donkey, for sheep, for clothing, or for any lost thing about which one says, this is it. 
the case of both parties shall come before the judges. He whom the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. Three times we see the judges in this passage. One appears in verse 8 and two in verse 9. And again, here's from verse 9. Both parties shall come before the judges. He whom the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. The Hebrew word used for the judges in all three of these cases is ha-elohim, the Elohim, the judges. See, there's such confusion over this word that some English translations even say God in place there using the lowercase g. And that that wouldn't make sense that the people would come before the gods because you shall have no other God before you, right? That's, that's the Bible. That's scripture. That's God's word. You shall have no other gods before me, he said. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't tell them to bring their case before gods. Adonai wants his people to judge righteous judgment, not to be little gods, And that's what Psalm 82 is all about. It's about judgment. Further, in Psalm 138 and verse 1, this is a Psalm of David, verse 1. I praise you with all my heart in the presence of the mighty. I will sing praises to you. The word mighty is the Hebrew word Elohim. And again, there are many English translations that use the word gods here. And they say, I praise you with all my heart in the presence of the gods. I will sing to you. That doesn't seem to make sense. Doesn't reconcile. And the Amplified Bible actually adds to it. Oh, my goodness. Amplified Bible says, I sing praises to you before the pagan gods. I don't know where or how that would make sense. Anyway, I don't think that's correct at all. Personally, no. Now, the Holman version of the Bible and the Christian Standard Bible use the phrase heavenly beings. In the presence of the heavenly beings, I will sing praises to you. That seems to ring true there. But we, so we can see the versatility of the word Elohim, which, again, when translated to Greek, becomes very limited, having only one meaning to it. So now, back to what Yeshua said in John 10. And I I understand, again, that the primary spoken language among Jews at this time was Aramaic. And it, it does have strong ties to Hebrew influences, of course. So we know this, that it was not likely that Yeshua, while speaking to the Judean leaders, spoke in Greek. That's probably not how that happened. Okay, I think... We're all in agreement on that. So Messiah, knowing this word Elohim, well, he's, he's the word made flesh, so he knows it all, right? So, but he would know the depth and vastness of this word Elohim. So here in my understanding, okay, in my own interpretation here, I believe that what Yeshua said would have been something like this. Isn't it written in the writings I have said you are Elohim. If he called them Elohim, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, the one 
who the Father set apart and set into the world, sent into the world, you speak blasphemy because I said I am Ben Elohim. Now remember, Israel is under Roman occupation and Caesar, he is hailed as the son of God. That's supposed to be his title and his alone, according to the Romans and some of the other people under their, under their thumb. So when Yeshua calls himself the son of God, Ben Elohim, this is a cause of great concern to the Judean leaders. If a rebellion begins and the leader is calling himself the son of God, this will bring swift retaliation from Rome and not just on the people in the rebellion, but on all of Israel. So the leaders, I don't think, were so concerned with blasphemy. I think they were more concerned with stop saying that about yourself because you just need to stop because Caesar's going to send the troops out after us. And there are many places, and of course, I've said this before, but there are many places throughout Scripture where the people of Adonai are called sons of God. Interestingly enough, the very verse Yeshua quotes, Psalm, 60, or Psalm 82, 6, says, I said, you are Elohim, and you are all sons of Elyon. God most high. So he says it right there, or, or he didn't say it. The, the verse uh, that he quoted has that as the continuation of its verse. So he said, he quoted the, I said, you are Elohim. And the rest of that verse is, and you are all sons of Elyon, God most high. And it goes on to say again, after it says that they are all sons of God most high, yet you will die like men. And will fall like any of the princes. So, what I believe we can take away from what Yeshua is saying here and his quoting of Psalm 82 6, you are Elohim. Okay, there, there are two ways I believe we can look at this that align with the whole of Scripture. And that is, God told his people that they will be judges, that they should judge just and right. They did not do that. So he tells them, you will die like men and fall away like any of the princes. So here is what I capture or grasp out of that, and a paraphrase, if you will. Adonai is telling his people, I wanted you to be good judges among the people that you would be these great spiritual beings and rulers. But you failed. So now, instead of being these great spiritual beings, Elohim, and these judges, Elohim, you are going to die like every other person and fall away like so many other princes. Okay, so let's see. I believe we can connect Psalm 82 with Exodus chapter 19, which this is before the golden calf incident. Adonai told Moses to say this to the people of Israel. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all people for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of priests, Kohanim, and a holy nation. 
These are the words which you are to speak to B'nai Israel, the children of Israel. Adonai conveys his desire for his children that they would be a kingdom of priests. He wanted representation from all the tribes of Israel as priests. The firstborn of every family was to be set apart for Adonai, for the priesthood. After the golden calf incident, it was established that the priests would come only from the tribe of Levi. So please consider... Among the other duties laid out for the priests, they were involved in judging matters. Read Deuteronomy 17. And so this role was removed from the rest of the tribes. It was removed from the tribes of Israel, save Levi. Okay, that role was. So when we read Psalm 82, in light of that, it brings another level of clarity to what is going on here. What is being referred to? Because it says in there, it is the quote, I said, you are Elohim. That's what God wanted for his people to be these judges, to judge rightly among themselves. And the other thing to consider, which remains consistent with the rest of scripture, is that we... Children of Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God, through Messiah Yeshua, followers of Messiah, Jesus. We are to judge righteous judgment among ourselves, among the brethren. Yes, we, in fact, are Elohim, judges among our brethren. That is a role that we play. And I know this isn't a popular statement at all, particularly among the woke churches, um, you know, here in modern times. And it was funny. This is a rabbit trail, but I'm going to go down it just real quick. I was recently saw a, a social media post by a very popular contemporary Christian musician. And he posted a meme which said, focus on your own sin. God's not asking you about mine. And so... I put in the comments, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, looking closely at yourself, so you are not tempted also. I just dropped that in there and didn't think a whole lot about it. And I, I did it to challenge the meme and hoping that maybe the artist, the, the, the musician, actually read comments and thought, oh, you know what, man, that meme really doesn't kind of fulfill what goes on, what's said in the scriptures. So I did it to challenge that meme because, I mean, well, well there's that, you know, it's a fluffy sentiment, kind of like, hey, you do you and I'll do me, okay, and everyone's going to be just fine. Well, that's completely unscriptural. Dude, I broke Facebook that day. <laughs> it was crazy. I had to shut off the notifications. It just blew up. I had, I, I had from both sides, it was crazy. I, I had people re attempting to refute the scripture that I posted because their sin, past, present, and future, was no more. So there's nothing they can be called out for. They can't be caught in a sin because their sin is gone. It's all been paid for, nothing to worry about here. So they basically, they say they can't sin. That blew me away. And then there were lots of people who were dropping just, just a quick do not judge. 
you know, without the rest of the context of, of that passage or talking about how uh, people were talking about how the, the law is dead. I mean, it was scary stuff anyway, but I did, I did throughout it. I got some encouragement from it because I had hundreds of likes and or loves and, you know, positive stuff. And one guy actually who won my heart that day, he replied to, he replied to my comment, please, if any of you see me in sin, tell me, challenge me on it. I want to honor God with my life. And I was like, bro, you get it. Hallelujah. Thank you. (laughs) There are still some out there. Praise Adonai. So listen, Yeshua tells us to judge righteous judgment. He says that in John chapter 7, verse 24. Scripture says that judgment starts where? At the household of God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to mix together with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, for then you would have to exit the world. But now I am writing to you not to mix together with anyone who is being called a brother if he is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a fellow. For what business do I have judging outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Put away the wicked fellow from among yourselves. So Paul says, God judges those outside the church, outside the faith, the world. Paul, he clarified, he wasn't talking about separating yourself from people who are involved in sin, who are outside of the faith, because that removes us from the world. We're supposed to have a presence. We're supposed to shine light out there into the world. But he asks this rhetorical question, don't you judge those who are inside? Well, yeah, of course, because God judges those who are outside. As in, and again, the question is, don't you judge those who are inside as inside the faith or inside your congregation? And it's a rhetorical question because, yes, we're, we're supposed to do that. Yeah, of course we do that. So he says not to mix together with anyone who is being called a brother if he is any of those things, sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slanderer, drunkard, swindler, Don't even eat. Don't break bread with such a person. Paul is saying that anyone who calls himself a brother and is any of those things and engaging in those behaviors. Now, I'll throw in this caveat because I believe he would he would mean this if they do not repent. When challenged, as you know, like he talked about in Galatians six, if they don't repent, which includes changing their ways. If they do not turn away from that and turn back to the ways of Adonai and turn away from their sin, don't even break bread with such a person. You know what? That sounds real judgy to me. And that's exactly what the scriptures say we're supposed to do. And Paul reinforces the fact that we are to judge one another with righteous judgment by saying in in chapter 6, verse 3, don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more the matters of this life? Wow. Okay. That's kind of a big deal. In any event, this is, 
this is nothing for us to get cocky about and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go around and judge all the people in the church. That's my job. I'm called called to be the judge. So I'm going to point out everybody since then. Hang on. Hang on. We've got to slow our roll. First of all, we must always seek to remove the plank from our own eye first, examining ourselves first before helping a brother remove the speck from his eye. See, the emphasis on that, what Yeshua said, is on helping remove the speck, not just pointing it out and condemning someone for it. Well, man, you got a speck in your eye. Hey, everybody, look, Luther got a speck in his eye. Oh, no, it's always geared towards repentance and restoration. And that should be our heart when we present someone with that is that we want them back. We want them back following the ways of Adonai and to turn away from that sin. It's about bearing one another's burdens. It's about love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and justice. I want people around me who will hold me accountable to God's word. And I want people around me who are willing to be held accountable to his word. That's the way this is supposed to work. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for restoration, and for training in righteousness so that the person belonging to God may be capable, fully equipped for every good deed. That's 1 Timothy three sixteen and 17. Now, I have had people that I know in the church who were living in sexual sin. And when they were called out for it, their reaction was, do not judge. Don't judge me. Well, no, actually, you're wrong, folks. This is where we are to judge righteous judgment and hope by calling that out and showing you in God's word, if necessary, how that is sin, hope to restore you to a right relationship with Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God, through Messiah Yeshua. That's the hope of it. It's not to stand there and point and condemn people. It's to restore them to that right relationship with God through Messiah Yeshua. Isabel Eastling of um, Yeshua Encounters says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing her statement a little bit here, but when you carry the Spirit of God and you are in a position of power to perform miracles by the power of God or to apply judgment like the judges usually do, you become an Elohim. Again, I do not believe this means we are little gods, but that we are Elohim spiritual beings filled with the Holy Spirit or Elohim. We are to judge among the brethren and to be rulers and leaders. I hope that clarifies. I know we went long on this one, lots of scripture in there, but I, I hope it brings clarification to that false doctrine, what scripture really says, and what Yeshua meant, what I believe he meant. Again, as always, study to show yourselves approved of God. But I hope this blessed you. And with all the confusion, lies, and deception out there, it is imperative that we beggars who have found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, let others know where that bread is located. Let them know where to find the bread that satisfies eternally. So let's go out and give them heaven. Shalom.